Want to be the first to know when new Forces for Nature episodes come out? Sign up for the newsletter on our website, www.forcesfornature.com. You can find the sign-up link at the bottom of the webpage or in the About section. When you do, you'll also receive a free checklist of easy, practical actions for nature that you can start taking today. I can't wait to connect with you. Want to know how you too can be a force for nature? Head on over to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive a free guide with practical actions that you can start taking today. I'm Crystal DiMicelli, and welcome to the Forces for Nature show. Do you find yourself overwhelmed with all the doom and gloom you hear of these days? Do you feel like you, as just one person, can't really make a difference? Forces for Nature cuts through that negativity. In each episode, I interview somebody who's doing great things for animals and the environment. We talk through the problem they're addressing, the solution they have found, what keeps them going, and we'll leave you with practical action tips so that you too can become a force for nature. Today's guest is Francesca Verdis from Reef Renewal Bonaire. Bonaire is a small Caribbean island that hosts some of the most beautiful coral reefs in the world. Although the waters surrounding the island are protected, the reefs are not immune to the devastating impacts of climate change, warming waters, and ocean acidification. In order to assist in their natural recovery, Francesca and her team propagate new corals and transplant them into degraded reef ecosystems. These individuals then contribute to the diversity and the resilience of these areas. With three quarters of the world's coral reefs in danger of dying and disappearing forever, the combined efforts of Reef Renewal Bonaire and others like them are key to their survival. Hi, Francesca. Thank you so much for joining me on Forces for Nature. It's so great to have you. Uh, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Can you give me a brief overview of what's happening to reefs in the Caribbean and around the world? I would say the majority of coral reefs worldwide are, are seriously damaged. We're talking about more than 75% of the coral reefs. I would say they are dying. Stressors that are affecting the reef are multiple, and most of the time is the synergy of all these stressors. There are global stressor and local stressor, for example, climate change as a global stressor, which brings rising ocean temperatures and ocean acidification, overfishing worldwide, but also locally, like destructive fishing, sedimentation, poor water quality, pollution. Everything we throw in the water affects coral in different ways. We bring more viruses and more bacteria, and then coral like us can get sick and die. You often hear about cases of coral bleaching in the news. Can you explain what that is? Corals live in a certain region temperature and uh, they have a symbiotic relation with a little tiny algae. And if the temperatures stay in the proper range, they have a perfect light together where they help each other to grow and thrive. But when temperature goes up, then this sort of relation gets disturbed and the result is that the corals get rid of the algae. And so it starts to starve because in reality it needs the algae as a source of food and energy. So this relation is very important for the corals. And the algae provide also the colors to the corals and that's why we refer to coral bleaching because when it gets rid of the algae, the corals becomes white. The coral is not dead yet. If conditions get back to normal, the corals can 
uh, regain his own algae and start the relation again. But of course, if the stressor persists for too long time, then the corals would die. This has been a serious issue in Australia's Great Barrier Reef for the last few years. Yeah, all the reefs are affected by coral bleaching, but some of them more than others. So, for example, the Great Barrier Reefs or also Florida Reefs have experienced very, very mass bleaching event lately. Now, if I happen to not live near an ocean, why should I care about reefs? What do they do for me? So we are always directly or indirectly affected by what is happening to coral reefs. Reefs are incredibly biodiverse ecosystems that support biodiversity and the life of more than 25% of all the marine species known, despite the fact that actually coral reefs cover only 1% of the entire ocean surface. So because they are so incredibly biodiverse, they also provide very important services worldwide to all of us. They support important commercial sectors like tourism. Tourism is one of the world's largest industries, so tourism contributes to the global economy, not only to the economy of small locations like Bonaire. And Reefs provide coastal protection to us, but to all of us provide biomedical compounds. Every day, uh, researchers find on the reef, for example, new anti-cancer agents, and they were found from sponges, or painkillers from snail venom, or supplements from algae. And there are so many species that still haven't been discovered, and many more biomedical compounds that haven't been found yet. They can hold compounds that may help us get out of the next global pandemic. Correct. Correct. We never know. There are species that haven't been found yet. And they're the nursery for a lot of commercial fisheries, right? Where a lot of fish we eat start their lives. Yeah, correct. That, and that's why, for example, a lot of people think, oh, but we don't eat reef fishes. But in reality, a lot of fish that you also catch somewhere far from the reef, they actually were born on the reef or in the mangrove areas they are on, the small islands like Bonaire. So most of the commercial fish actually spend part of their life on, on the reef. Yeah, so if we lose it, then we're going to be losing potentially some of our, our favorite fish. Or Yeah, in a way or another, all our lives are connected. Whether you eat fish, whether you live on the island, whether you need a treatment for a specific sickness, or just just for the beauty of it. I think it's something unique. Nature doesn't really need us, but we strongly need nature, and that's why we should protect it. In order to help protect reefs and also restore the ones that have been degraded, you helped to create Reef Renewal Bonaire. Can you tell me a little bit about this program? Reef Renewal Foundation Bonaire is a non-profit foundation, and our main goal is to assist the natural recovery of degraded reefs. And we do it through active coral restoration. We use two techniques to propagate thousands of corals every year in coral nurseries. And then we all plant them back to the reef. I always say that coral reef restoration cannot bring back to life dead corals. We don't have a magic wand. But when combined with 
proper or proactive management, then restoration can help to speed up the natural recovery of the reef. So it's not per se the solution of the problem, but combined with proper action and proper protection, I would say, is an important part of the solution. Coral restoration means not allowing coral population to be so damaged and so degraded that they won't be able to recover. So we're kind of buying time through coral restoration. And the number of corals you're propagating and the area of reefs you've been able to restore have been steadily growing since your start in 2012. We started with just a few hundred corals in our nurseries. And now at any given time, you can count more than 15,000 corals growing in our nursery. We have outplanted back to the reef more than 35,000 corals and we are growing every year and we're growing more corals. So <laughs> we're growing as a foundation as much as we grow corals. And yeah, so it's, it's nice to see how just starting from few corals, now we have almost, for example, 10,000 square meters of reef restored. How do you grow a reef? How do you grow a coral reef? What are some of your methods? Yes, so we use two different techniques. One is called fragmentation and the other one is larval propagation. So very similarly to gardening on land, Although I always remind people actually that corals are animals, they are not plants. We can propagate corals using cuttings. So that's what we do via fragmentation. But we can also propagate corals assisting their reproduction. So we have the fertilization collecting eggs and sperms and we facilitate the fertilization so we can rear corals from very small, tiny larvae until they are ready to settle on the reef. So it's sort of seeding the reef with millions of larvae. Of course, they are very small, so it takes longer time to see the results. But through larva propagation, we can work on large numbers and we can also increase the genetic diversity on the reef. What diversity of corals are you growing? We are working overall on uh, seven different coral species. But as I mentioned before, it's important not only on working on different species, but also on the genetic diversity of the corals within the coral species that we work on. So I always do this comparison. So imagine we are human beings. We all belong to the same animal species, but we all are unique and different, right? You and I, we don't look alike, right? So we also have different strengths and weaknesses. So the same is for corals. It's important to keep their genetic diversity high because they have strengths and weaknesses that actually might help them to resist or withstand particular stressors. Some of them might be stronger in fighting against warmer water temperature or others are stronger towards diseases. So it's very important to work on genetic diversity of corals for that reason. We are in this way, not only making the reef more able to withstand the stressors, but also more resilient, meaning that we are improving the capacity recovering when, for example, something happened, let's say a hurricane, right? Corals that are stronger are also better able to recover afterward. And speaking of resiliency, that leads into my next question regarding stressors. So ocean warming and ocean acidification are reasons that corals are dying in the first place, among others. 
how can you grow new ones and why would they survive as opposed to the wild ones that aren't doing so well? Yeah, so as I said before, paramount is to reduce the stressors that are killing the reef. So this is the most important thing. Otherwise, we won't be able to save the reefs. However, through restoration, we can make sure to have a large amount of coral seed available on the reef and with hygienated diversity. So the population doesn't get completely depleted. So if the population gets to a point where there are not enough colonies, those colonies also won't be able to recover, even if we reduce the stress source. So coral restoration needs to work together with proper management and environmental policies, right? And in working with a biodiverse selection of corals, I imagine you're able to know which do best in varying situations. Yes. Having worked with these corals and these different strains for almost 10 years, now we are kind of able to see already which one performed better than other and which size. We keep collecting data and monitor corals is very important for this reason because the more we know how they perform, the more we can predict how they will perform. And then in this way, we can adapt our restoration strategies based on this knowledge. So whether you want to put corals, for example, to restore an area that is highly polluted or a more pristine area, then you can decide, for example, which strains would you use. So that's why it's very important to get to know your corals in a restoration project. I have heard some reforestation projects have been criticized for planting seedlings and that being their criteria for success, but not actually following up and seeing if those seedlings survive which is the true measure of success. Do you monitor the survival rates of the corals that you plant? Yes, we monitor survival rate. We monitor in our nursery. We monitor in our, our planting sites. It's very important because it's the only way to understand if we are successful or where we need to make adjustment. Also, we always try to make this process more efficient. So it's very important almost as in a manufacturing process, to follow the entire process, to kind of detect, for example, bottlenecks and, and get better at it. So we definitely need to collect data. Otherwise, we'll be just a guess and just a waste of resources. What does the ecosystem start to look like after you plant the, the babies or the seedlings? I don't know what you want to call them. <laughs> Has it been long yes. enough to see an ecosystem bounce back? Yes, one of the most, I think, rewarding experience was to witness our corals spawning again. The one that we all planted very young, already a few years ago, they started spawning on their own. That means that they are reproducing, that means that they are kickstarting the recovery process. Also, reefs that are nearby, not necessarily only the old planting sites, but also reefs that might be also located meters and meters far away. So this is where nature starts working again on its own. And this is kind of the goal of our project. So that's very rewarding. On top of it, we also collect data regarding fish population, thanks also to researchers and partnership with the research institute that we have. And just recently, hopefully will be published soon, we were comparing, for example, fish population or invertebrate population on our side to show how actually the bringing corals back to the reef also helps the recovery of fish population there. Which in turn helps the fisheries of the coastal systems. Absolutely. When, when we work on education outreach on the island, we always 
love to have fishermen there and show that we work together. We are not working against each other. Actually, the more corals, the more reefs, the healthy reefs we have, the more fish we have, which is a source of food for the island and support the local economy. So absolutely, we need to work together. Your organization is just three people strong. How do you handle all that goes into this initiative? Yeah, we are a very small foundation, just uh, three staff members now, but we get a lot of support by the community locally and internationally. We have seven local dive shops supporting and many tourists and local volunteers, which are very passionate, dedicated to this project. They come here, they fall in love with our project and they inspire us and push us to do more and more every day. So I think they are the real source of energy or engine of this project. So you have the dive shops help to provide the manpower? Yeah, to volunteer for us, you need to be a diver. And they actually train our volunteers. We train the instructors, some of the instructors that work for these dive shops, and they train tourists and locals to become volunteers. So we don't have to, let's say, spend time training people, but we actually get right away the manpower. And this helps us, you know, to reach out to way more people that we will be able to reach out just with three staff members, right? Dive shops are everywhere. They get in contact with hundreds of tourists every day. So they are our center of education and formation, our first point of contact with the community. Can you tell me about a moment when you said to yourself, this, this is why I do it. So a success story or a proud moment. Yeah, I would say for sure what I mentioned before, the spawning of the outplanted corals, but also I think when we started having meeting with our trained volunteers or local dive shop and see suddenly maybe 50 people participating or organizing event with 100 divers all together working in a nursery. And that it was very rewarding because we started this project with almost no support. People were very skeptical uh, regarding coral restoration and we were a very small team. We're still a very small team, but seeing uh, so many people believing in this project was very rewarding. Including the fishermen, you have them on board? Yes, absolutely. We, we have a very good relation with them and they understand what we're doing and we're all working together for Bonaire Nature. Now, one of my favorite parts about this show is being able to leave the listener with things that they can do to help. So you mentioned that people can come and be volunteers for you if they're divers. What else can someone do to help reefs in general? I would say most important thing, promote awareness, learn more about coral reefs, their incredible diversity and talk about it. Educate the people that are around you and in your life. Also, vote for people that would have, for example, nature protection or restoration in their political agenda. That's very important. We cannot care about nature and then forget it when it's the moment on voting somebody. So we definitely need to keep that in mind. If you're more of an action person, you can become a volunteer for project like us. And yeah, just, just be aware of how with small adjustment to our everyday life, we can actually have a big impact on the reef. 
on the nature in general. Another thing that comes to mind for me is using reef safe sunscreen. What is the difference between regular sunscreen uh, and reef safe sunscreen? Yeah, there are the components and the ingredients of the two different groups of sunscreen. Uh, they like to distinguish in chemical sunscreen and mineral sunscreen. So the good one would be the one there are zinc, for example, based and don't have chemical compounds that actually kill the reef. And there is a long list, unfortunately, of chemical compounds that kill the reef. And people can find it easily on any, you know, just Google it on any website. And because it's proof that these ingredients kill the reef. And sometimes people think, oh, but it's just a little bit. It wouldn't affect the reef. But first of all, we need to think that we are a lot of people getting in the ocean. And corals live very close to shore. So although the ocean is very big, we are actually having an impact on the shallow water corals. And also scientists prove that just very, very small concentration, we're talking about a drop in an Olympic pool size, would kill a coral. So thinking about all things, when you come and visit a place like Bonaire and you visit our coral reef, try to practice using safe sunscreen. So in the show notes, I'll put a list of the components that you should and should not look out for regarding the sunscreen, because you might have every intention to protect reefs and not realize that what you're putting on your skin is harming them. Actually, almost all the chemicals are very mm, badly affecting the reefs. So we kind of need to use these sunscreens that are titanium or zinc-based, which are the ones that leave us all white and ghosty. But that's why, because they stick to our skin and that actually also get released in the ocean. That's why they have a less impact on the reef. I have used some that blend in better than others, so you don't necessarily have to look like Casper the Ghost on your beach days. Now, also, despite looking like hard rocks, corals are very fragile and just stepping on them or putting your anchor on them can kill them, correct? Or at least damage years worth of growth. Oh, yeah. Like corals in reality are colonies or very tiny, tiny, tiny polyps. So every time we touch one of them or just step on that, it's like the size of uh, even smaller than an ant or a bug. So imagine stepping on something like that. You're already killing the polyps. So every time we brush a coral, we stand on it, we're killing hundreds probably of polyps of the entire coral colony and unfortunately corals look like rocks a little bit and people don't realize that and so you see a lot of people standing there are people that don't know and, and, it's, and you can see it they are t totally not aware because as soon as you tell them they move away and they actually apologize so that's why I'm saying education and promoting awareness in particular with people that live far from here is critical sometimes you know promoting doing presentation here and promoting reform awareness here is sort of preaching to the priest yeah <laughs> and that's why my actually my choir. main goal is to reach out to all the people that you were mentioned before the one that live far away that maybe don't visit the reef but like i said where their action is still impacting coral reefs and also don't buy coral souvenirs or coral jewelry oh yeah absolutely Francesca, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for all that you do. You're making a difference.
Besides just for their beauty, coral reefs are important for all of us to protect because of the ecosystem services they provide, directly or indirectly. And we may be harming them without even realizing it. Another point I want to add about that is about the aquarium trade. If you have an aquarium in your home, be diligent about sourcing your corals and fish and its other inhabitants ethically. Verify that none have been taken from the wild. With a little forethought, we can be sure that our choices and our actions, while at the beach or far away, aren't inadvertently doing harm to these gorgeous, important ecosystems. Don't forget to go to forcesfornature.com and sign up to receive emailed show notes, action tips, and a free guide to help you start taking practical actions today. Do you know someone else who would enjoy this episode? I would be so grateful if you would share it with them. Hit me up on Instagram and Facebook and let me know what actions you have been taking. Adopting just one habit can be a game changer, because imagine if a million people also adopted that. What difference for the world are you going to make today?